We're now in conversation with Serge Prengel, and we're excited that he today is in conversation with Dr. Ray Johnson. Serge, um, perhaps I'll begin just by acknowledging what a pleasure it is for me to be able to um, interview you. I've, I've had the pleasure of having you interview me for Somatic Perspectives on a couple of occasions, um, and I'm so happy that the tables are turned today. <laughs> um, and, and I'm hoping that uh, the experience will be as pleasant for you as it has been for me um, when we've been in conversation before. Um, Serge, I'm, I'm wondering if we could begin our conversation um, just by having you um, talk a little bit about uh, some of your current projects and activities, the things that you're involved with now and are exciting to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thanks, Ray. So it's a pleasure for me also to reconnect with you in the form of a conversation where, as you say, the tables are turned. Um, I'm I'm in uh, private practice in New York City, and uh, uh, a lot of my excitement, enthusiasm, energy is about uh, exploring and trying new things. Um, to um, you know that essentially every session is uh, is something new, and uh, there is a, a new exploration. Things that are suggested by clients, moments of getting stuck that are um, ways to uh, to to open up to new dimensions. So uh, discussions with colleagues, reading. So in a general way, uh, my experience of my work is something that is uh, that is full of gates opening into new directions, and that's very exciting. Uh, I also like to do collaborative things, uh, and uh, you know, like the. Uh, the Somatic Perspectives on Psychotherapy series is about uh, talking to people, hearing their points of view and spreading that, but also in terms of writing or presentations of the projects that I have, uh, I am doing mostly collaborative things these days. Great. Um, Serge, I'm, I'm wondering if I could ask you um, a little more specifically about both of those areas that you just mentioned. Um, both your private practice and how um, you um, continue to learn and uh, build excitement and find innovation just in the day-to-day practice of, of clinical work, which, I, which um, is really exciting to me, the idea that um, we can work with clients on a weekly basis and still find something um, that feels new and alive. So I'd like to ask a little bit about that, and I and I would also like to ask about the work that you've been doing, sort of in the broader community of somatic psychology, um, and the things that you're learning there. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I could if I could come back um, to to your uh, your clinical work and your and your private practice, I'm I'm always interested in how practitioners come to the work that they're currently doing. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm struck by the fact that the field of somatic psychology is so um, diverse in terms of modalities and perspectives, despite the fact that there's an underlying sort of shared um, philosophy or perspective in terms of starting with the body. Um, Beyond that sort of set of foundational conceptual assumptions, um, 
the variety of work within our with within a, that umbrella that we call somatic psychology is really quite remarkable. And you've you've um, trained in three different modalities um, that each have their own uh, unique flavor and and um, unique things to offer in working with clients. Um, and specifically, I'm I'm talking about focusing. Uh, which is the work of uh, Jean uh, Gendlin and um, and others, um, and has quite a long tradition um, and a lot of um, um, application across a, a variety of other modalities. Um, core energetics, um, and and more recently, somatic experiencing. Could you say a little bit about how you work with? Um, each of those, whether you have found a way to integrate those modalities, whether you work with them separately, how they show up in the work that you're doing with clients. Yeah, yeah, that's a wonderful question. And uh, uh, maybe to to address it, I will first not go into the specifics, but go into the word integrate. Um, because I am obviously fascinated by integration. That's the whole point of, you know, the, the work I do of paying attention to, to how different people view things. And um, I think integration is something that happens that uh, uh, it happens at a deep level inside a person. Integration is not something where you take a little bit of something and combine it with something from another modality, you know, on the surface. But the image I would have is it first goes into you and you digest it and make it your own and you understand it and you integrate it into your vision of the world and so your vision of the world is changed by that and then there's something you spew out that's going to be your own mixture of these things. Um, that's a lovely embodied metaphor, Serge. <laughs> the digestive you. process. <laughs> I like the digestive process a lot, you know, in terms of um, uh, integrating and making sense of things. So that's a very yeah. so so. Uh, for instance, you know, the depending on the moment, it could be that, for instance, focusing is something that um, I don't necessarily refer to in a, in a given session or or think I am doing focusing. But there is something in which I am actually very, very deeply influenced by focusing as an attitude, as a way of being, as a way of resonating, as a way of, um, you know, finding a rhythm uh, with the client, you know, which is something that's much deeper than any uh, specific, you know, focusing procedure or technique. Uh, and so you would say that I am in a focusing-like resonance with the client. Right. Um, it's not that you're doing the six steps of focusing. No, not at all. Not at all. No, yeah. no, nor do I ever really actually think about the six steps of focusing. Um, and, um, and uh, you know, there is something about, say, the somatic experiencing part, which I really like a lot and find, you know, a lot of continuity with focusing, not strangely in the sense that... Um, uh, Peter Levine was influenced by Gene Gendlin in the, the felt sense part. And even right. though the two concepts of felt sense are very different in focusing and in somatic experiencing, um, you know, I think there is a complementarity of, um, uh, you know, that uh, paying attention to the uh, physical sensation, which SE, you know, calls felt sense, 
uh, more of the, um, you know, focusing felt sense, um, having that rhythm, having the uh, titration, pendulation of somatic experiencing. So again, it's not so much um, that as a technique, but is a sensitivity to uh, being in a rhythm with the client in a resonance where you're going to be paying attention to what is overwhelming, what is not, what is physical, um, you know, what is happening at all levels of the person. Right. Um, now, the, um, you know, core energetics, um, you know, there was a time when things like bioenergetics and core energetics were mostly understood as cathartic and uh, the idea that you, you know, let it out and, and you'd be free. Um, and I think that's also for a long time, I mean, one of the things I got a lot out of uh, John Pierakos is that he used to say, uh, something about, uh, you know, that it could be very soft, um, you know, energy and consciousness. So the whole point was to see where the energy is and not necessarily, you know, loud, deep energy, but what, what is the energy and connecting with the energy as a way to connect to the consciousness of it. Um, so, so in that sense, my, my, my version of core energetics feels, uh, you know, integrated with the softer approaches. Uh, but in addition, there are times where the, uh, you know, getting energy, uh, energizing that you can do in core energetics is something that can be very nice as a way to, to stay out of the, to step out of the box, you know, and to, to discover another dimension of self. Um, uh, not as a cathartic cure, but as a way of experiencing oneself in a different, more energized mode. Right. And that what I'm what I'm hearing is that core energetics, um, that training has provided you with some tools for working with and moving energy. Um, that simple attention and awareness um, provided by focusing and, and SE perhaps um, hasn't um, explored or articulated or developed quite as as fully as core energetics has done. Yeah, you know, so that core energetics tends to live more in the energy area. Um, and uh, and so other methods are not so much in that area. And people, you know, clients, people in general are going to be in different uh, phases at different moments of their life. You know, there are different issues, different things. So there is a value in um, in having different vantage points from which to to uh, explore problems. Right. So what I'm what I'm hearing is that the various trainings that you've undertaken and the and the different modalities that you use in your practice, um, that in a way they they give you a full palette of colors with which to with which to paint. That um, that some give you um, a certain range and mm-hmm. certain capacities and skills, and and others complement them by giving you um, other tools that you can use. And, and I like where you started, which is that for you, um, it's important to be using those different perspectives in an integrated way by actually having tried them on in your own body and in your own experience um, and integrated them on that level. Yeah, yeah. And, and integrated them um, as, a, as a consumer, if you want, as a, as a client, uh, but also integrated them um, you know, at a different level, including an intellectual level, 
of a vision of what it's like to be a human being or what it's like to, to change or what it's like to struggle. And you use the uh, metaphor of, uh, of uh, different colors or different tools. And um, another metaphor could be different access points. Uh, so each one is going to give you an access to a different side, a uh, different perspective on what it's like to be a human being. And sometimes you know which one is going to be good, but sometimes it's actually interesting to start and see where it leads you because part of the conclusion may be that avenue is not going to be the productive one. And then it gives you an idea of where else to go. Right. But if if you find that a particular perspective or a particular access point um, doesn't allow you to get very far. Um, you've got another. You've got another route that you can go to. You've, you've got an alternate access point provided by that other modality that you can draw on. Yeah, yeah. And I'm noticing as you, um, you know, you speak. You know, my my focusing part. You know, that resonates and says, "No, is it right? Is it not right?" There's something that's, um, you know, um, you know, I'm putting my finger on. And it's not just me, in a way, because part of how I like to work is that it's a joint project and as a creative process that involves both me and the client. So, in a way, it's not just, uh, you know, that I am um, doing something and seeing it works or not, but as a team, um, you know, it's working for us or not. Right. That you're actually engaging... Um, with the client in a really collaborative way to yeah, get yeah. Um, a feedback loop going between the two of you so that um, as you're going and as you're suggesting different things or noticing different things and making different observations, the two of you are actually um, sort of deciding together where you're going mm-hmm. and what's next. Yeah. And, you know, it's not obviously something that, you know, only I do a lot, a lot, a lot of people do that. Um, I think, you know, even people who do just, a, you know, quote, talk therapy do that. But the beauty of it in something that involves the body is that it's going to be more experiential. So the sense of creativity that goes in it uh, is going to be actually more involving. And there is more of a satisfaction to be on a team that explores and works this way. Right. There you are in the moment together. Mm-hmm. And neither of you really know what's going to happen next. And that yes. that's actually a good thing. Yes, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful, you know, and it's not totally true because there is a part where actually there is a part of me that, uh, in some way is trying to stay ahead maybe just a few seconds of what's happening. You know, there's a little observing part, uh, that is tracking that Sometimes is making hypothesis. So, uh, you know, I, you know, it can be a little bit lagging at some moments where I am totally involved in the, uh, in the connection and the, in the process. But usually there is also kind of an awareness, a, a mindfulness about what's happening, uh, that is, you know, that is, um, you know, not just resonance with what is happening inside and what is happening with the client, but is, also paying attention to some hypothesis, you know, some intuition, and testing it. Right. right. 
So even if that, that conceptual framework is something that you experience on an embodied level, that framework is still there. Yeah. 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 Because, you know, it's, it's very hard, you know, for us, for people to, to really totally be divorced from expectations and thoughts. You know, just uh, by default, the human mind goes to patterns, goes to to finding patterns, goes to simplifying, goes to having ideas. So uh, I find that it's useful to actually be aware of it and use it instead of pretending it's not there. <laughs> yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, thanks, Serge. That's, that's very helpful, and, and thanks for willing, being willing to, to go into some depth um, in terms of um, how your clinical work um, how you how you see it, how you how you work with the different modalities that you've trained in. Um, I'm wondering if you could um, also then speak a little bit about your own individual professional path. How did you wind up um, where you are now, working the way that you're working? Um, and was there something about um, somatic psychology or the or the modalities that you've trained in? Um, that drew you or compelled you? I'm just wondering if you could share a little bit of your own sort of professional path from yeah. from wherever you'd like to begin to where you are now. Well, uh, I, to start with the, the past, if you want, is something that um, 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 for various reasons when I was a student, I did not uh, think of uh, studying psychology. And... Mm-hmm. Um, I went through uh, to business, and uh, in business, which I didn't, you know, which in a way I felt I had to, but uh, didn't really go through, I didn't want to do business, so I went, essentially went into advertising, uh, which was more creative. And um, for um, a big part of my adult life, uh, I was in advertising, and I had a small advertising agency. a little over 20 years ago, I shifted and I, um, I actually went into, um, you know, creating groups, exploration, creative groups, and, uh, and then um, studying therapy and going into, um, you know, myself becoming a therapist. Um, I was, I had been more interested originally in the aspects of um, um, therapy that had to do with insight and creativity. Um, And, you know, I've always been very interested in the idea of um, uh, how a Zen koan could get somebody to suddenly see the world in a different way. So, so both, you know, the, the, the archetype, if you want, that was in my mind, is that it is something that you kind of contemplate and um, suddenly, you know, you have this amazing revelation and the world changes and, you know, bells and whistles and sunsets and all kinds of things, um, you know, the world changes. Um, but when actually I did through purely coincidence and friends, I discovered um you know, focusing, and I discovered core energetics, and uh, both were things that uh, I was curious about and uh, had a very nice way of um, giving a different framework to the notion of creativity. 
Right. And, and I I'm, might... I'm really, go ahead. I was just saying, I, I'm really um, hearing creativity as that common thread that, that drew you along your past. Yeah, yeah. Creativity is a, is a big thing to me. So, um, you know, both for me as a person, but also for my sense of... Um, um, you know what it's like because it's a you know drawing on creativity is a very nice way to um, uh, to to create resources in people uh, to so you know from the model of resourcing that many trauma therapies have so uh, you know you, you just you get involved in it you you, you pull from your strength uh, it's something that you know engages your uh, your sense of playfulness engages problem solving it's a way in which people can um, you know, instead of being disempowered by a situation where uh, they're malfunctioning in some way, maybe there's something defective and they're seeing an authority who's fixing them, um, you know, by being in a creative mode, they're going to be more into uh, a sense of using the power they have. Um, and also there's a, the, the quality of resonance or transference, counter-transference that exists you know, is something that I personally like. So it's not necessarily that it works better as an absolute statement, but it's something that I personally enjoy and makes my day pleasant. And also, uh, in a way, when I work with people who enjoy that, we all benefit from it. Right. So I'm, I'm really hearing your perspective um, as not um, coming from a model of, illness or pathology in terms yeah. of psychotherapy, but really from a model of building resilience and enhancing creativity and um, developing um, capacities for relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it feels very good, you know, to, to see that actually a lot of the underpinnings of contemporary psychotherapy is going that way. You know, in terms of both neuroscience, in terms of um, you know attachment theory, and uh, and so in terms of um, you know the neurobiology of attachment, there's a whole thing that seems to be convergent uh, toward the idea of um, of involving people at that level. Yes, yes, uh, positive psychology. Um, the things that are being uh, learned from that perspective. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I agree. I think that, that it's really heartening to um, those of us who have sort of been coming from this perspective for a number of years to find that um, more mainstream clinical psychology is catching up with us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm wondering, Serge, if you could talk a little bit about somatic perspectives um, yeah. and the work that you've been doing there simply because I, I really do understand it as such a service to the somatic psychology community, um, the, the work that you've done in that area over the years and, and uh, hopefully the work that you, you plan to continue to do. So could you say a little bit about it? Yeah. So on a, on a practical level, the way to describe it is uh, it's a series of, um, of interviews uh, where there's a, a Practitioner, so uh, who is interviewed by me about what they do, and the approach I take is a conversational approach where it's not something that's about explaining uh, the theoretical 
underpinnings of work. We can talk about it, but mostly what we try to do is get a sense, a lived-in sense of seeing the world through the eyes of this person. Uh, and um, and part of it is because, in a way, when you read uh, a book or, you know, an academic paper, you can understand a lot of things. But what is missing is that uh, lived dimension of, you know, that, that, that casualness of I see it that way. And it's it's almost, you know, it's not, you know, the same situation, but it, it's a parallel for me is how we learn through mirror neurons or how, uh, you know, procedural memory works, is that we capture something at some kind of a global felt sense level, uh, and we relate to it. So if it's too foreign to us, uh, we simply don't. I mean, it's impossible. You know, something, if you if you hear uh, somebody speak Chinese and you don't, uh, you just simply, it's going to remain impenetrable to you. But if something is close enough to your field of experience, you know, just far enough that there is something challenging, but close enough that you can have access to it, then um, you're going to have the possibility of accessing it at that self-sense level. And then uh, you're going to feel that, in a way, it's like you absorb some of that experience instead of absorbing some um, abstract knowledge. Right. Um, I'm, I'm struck by the way you're talking about your, um, your vision for those conversations and somatic perspectives simply because um, it, it strikes me as very much in line with your description of your clinical work in terms of using different modalities to provide you with different access points. Um, and what I'm hearing is that interviewing um, someone in the field of somatic psychology who perhaps uh, has developed a particular modality or theoretical framework, interviewing them from the perspective of who they are as a person and what their experience has been and how do they see the world and um, their work gives your listeners an opportunity to access their work in a different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to uh, you know, it's one of the, the things um, um, I had, I knew Jendlin's work through books and uh, through uh, teaching by other people than him. And um, one day I had a chance to uh, uh, to hear him in person a long time ago for the first time, and I was struck by actually picking up, you know, as he was talking, emotions that I could relate to. And it was a very, very interesting thing to say, you know, the stuff he developed that I relate to and that makes so much sense. Um, you know, there's actually a dimension that is not expressed in that way of transmitting information, you know, that goes through books and goes through other people, is that that emotion that I can share, that I can relate to, that, uh, you know, actually gives another dimension to why I'm drawn to this work. Right. It was it was having an experience of how focusing lived in Jean Genlin. Yeah. 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 Wonderful. Yeah. Um, one thing that we haven't talked about is um, how your work relates um, and how you understand um, the whole idea of the topic of this telesummit, which is the mystery of embodiment. Um, 
what does that phrase mean to you? And and how might you, if you do, um, work with that um, in your in your clinical practice or in your broader community work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, well, it's a great great way. I'm glad you asked this because uh, I love the title, "The Mystery of Embodiment," and I love it for its poetic quality. Uh, there's a part of me that if I try to take it literally, I have actually some resistance to it. Um, and if I take it literally and, uh, you know, it seems to imply that in a way there is a soul someplace and there is um, incarnation embodiment and that soul comes first and, you know, the mystery implies, uh, you know, the whole uh, approach that, that's prejudging that, you know, there is a soul first and then the body is a consequence of it. And uh, my, my approach, uh, my, my vision of the world, is more of a sense of um, matter, body, um, you know, giving birth to, uh, you know, with the, the brain being part of it, the mind being a phenomenon of the brain. You know, so basically something that is a whole process, uh, but certainly not, you know, um, the body being kind of a creation of the mind. However, on a poetic level, I absolutely love it because uh, the idea of entering into the mystery uh, and uh, the sense of how we can so easily think of ourselves as creatures of the mind and that uh, we are, in fact, so disconnected from all the, uh, the, the richness of paying attention to the body experience and treating it as a mystery and almost uh, not just a mystery in a sense of reading a mystery, but something sacred, like the, in the Middle Ages they had mysteries um, uh, which were plays to understand the, the functioning of the world, uh, I think is a wonderful invitation and, and speaks to how much I love to think of this work in a creative way and in a way that goes beyond the literal. Right. And that's wonderful. And I, I, we do actually have questions in from listeners. And um, uh, thanks for your patience. And I wanted to remind participants that you can ask questions live. And if you're calling in on the telephone, you could press star 2. And if you're listening in via the webcast, you can type in your question. And so we'll take as many questions as we can in the time we have. I have a question from Cindy in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, her question is, I so appreciated your bringing in the metaphor of the digestion as you spoke about the body. It seems to me that the body is our digestive system for experience and that when we are struggling to metabolize an experience, we are struggling in our bodies. Does this make sense and what are your thoughts about this? Yeah, it's a, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Um, you know that, um, uh, I mean, first of all, just... Uh, you know, continuing the metaphor of metabolizing. So, you know, uh, you know, a thought is not something that happens in thin air or just divorced from the body. There are processes going on in the body. So, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, the, the body breathe, is breathing, the, the, the blood is flowing, and, um, you know, you notice when you have some thoughts which are pleasant, your body relaxes. You notice when you have some thoughts which are difficult or uh, threatening, your body tenses up, your breathing changes. So, you know, there is a whole body processing that takes place as we actually metabolize, you know, our mental process. Ray, what do you think? Um, 
I think there's something about the the metaphor of digestion in terms of the body uh, processing experience um, that really um, underscores our capacity to be nurtured and nourished by experience as well as um, the risk of having experience um, be um, upsetting or not nurturing or not good for us. Um, and that there's a way in which our our bodies do that all the time. And at the same time, adding a level of conscious integration and awareness of how our bodies process experience, I think, um, adds an element of um, integration that um, really enhances our capacity to be more choiceful, uh, more intentional, more selective about what we take in and what we don't take in and how we take it in. Um, Serge, I'm reminded of of the work of Peter Levine and somatic experiencing um, in that respect that um, there's an understanding around how we respond to things, how we metabolize experience, including traumatic experience, that's very much about the body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you introduce, uh, I, I like what you did, is you introduce also the element where there is an element of consciousness, an element, an active element, uh, um, you know, so it's not just a passive process. Right. And that adding mindful awareness of that process, paying attention mm-hmm. to the process, um, mm-hmm. um, in a way, I think the idea is that there, it's not just letting the body do what the body does, but how can we facilitate the connection between body and mind, automatic processes, the nervous system, with our capacity for intentional awareness, and how does that enhance that process? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and this is where it becomes really fascinating. Mm. That's wonderful. We have a question from Steve in Rapid City, and his question is, what do you recommend when working with a client who has a lot of anger in terms of bringing in the body and working with intense emotions like anger can be? So, you know, um, I like to work with people who have anger, um, you know, but my sense of it is I try to not deal with anger as something that has to be treated, but to see anger as a symptom, as something that originates from something else. And to, uh, you know, first and foremost, get a sense, give some kind of an understanding to the client that, you know, there's something like that at play. That in a way, you know, there's a system, there's a larger system uh, whether it is a system in the current situation the client is in, for instance, a family situation, a couple, or a work situation, or a situation that started, you know, in childhood, where this client was, in a way, put in a role by the system where they were stuck in um, expressing things through anger. I also like to put it also within a context of anger being you know, a form of activation and that, um, you know, there is 
some kind of a sense of threat that is perceived where at some moment the threat feels so strong that they have no impulse control. So in other words, I like to put in a lot of, um, uh, of a sense that, you know, the client is not some kind of a monster uh, who is acting in destructive and self-destructive ways. Because more often than not, people who come for anger come either because it's been founded on them that they're really bad people, they're hurting all kinds of people, they're, or, uh, you know, they themselves feel really guilty about it, or, uh, you know, feel aggrieved, but in a way with the intensity of it is something that's unmanageable. And the idea is to enlist their um, cooperation in going from something that's going to be, that is unmanageable to something that's going to be manageable in a way that it's going to work for them and not hurt others, but also benefit them. So, you know, I, I spend a lot of time on that because to me, uh, you know, this part is going to make, you know, what you do with anger that much more effective. Because if it's seen within a framework where uh, figuring out what the trigger is, you know, slowing down, paying attention to the body sensation at the moment of trigger, uh, you know, again, slowing down and finding how it relates to, you know, what is really triggering in that, what is what is beyond, you know, the, the immediate stimulus and to see what is the deeper part that is triggered. All of this is going to make more sense if the client is feeling in a place where um, it's working for them as opposed to uh, they're, being, um, they're being treated for something that's really bad in them. That's beautiful. Um, a question from, I think we have time for maybe one more question before closing comments, from Peter in Dublin, Ireland. And Peter asks, what do you see is the role of community in supporting or not the return to the body? Mm. I, you know, I think it's a very moving question um, because it's it's impossible to do something lasting without community, um, you know, and uh, and I think that's a part of um, both at the level of an individual client and in terms of changing the world, you know, that our work as a somatic psychotherapist is to help individual clients, but also hopefully to to change the the way the world perceives what human beings are and and what they do. So if you take an alcoholic and you put them back in a bar where all, all their friends are drinking, it's going to be very hard for them to stay sober. So there's a, you know, the the whole question of, um, you know, paying attention to the body and, 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 and living with the body is going to be that much more effective uh, to the extent that people live in an environment where that is, um, you know, there is a norm. Um, thank you, Serge. I'm going to turn it back over to you and Ray for closing comments. Serge, would you like to start by just adding anything that um, that you haven't had a chance to speak to yet that um, that you'd like to say? Okay. So, you know, um, I, I do, you know, a lot of my work is oriented around something that is um, – you know, in a, in a broad sense called mindfulness. And I, I call it, you know, instead of calling it mindfulness, I had a, when I call it mindfulness, too many 
people think of it that I'm teaching meditation, which is not at all what I do. And and so um, I, I've come to call it the proactive mind, and that's why I call my practice proactive change. Um, in that sense of um, you know the you know and using the uh, the, the uh, you know the trauma the uh, um, you know the, the whole model of um, you know autonomic nervous system and sympathetic activation becomes you know our reactive mode, which is very useful to survive. But then, uh, you know, we also have the capacity as human beings to add another dimension to it, to go further than just the knee-jerk reaction. And that's a capacity, you know, that mindfulness or the proactive mind is that capacity to learn from experience, to, um, uh, to see, to have a broader perspective, to reorient, to control, uh, you know, in the service of growth. And um, that's the part where... Also, it is something that's not just about therapy, but it's also about personal growth, about uh, human potential. And that's what uh, is the most exciting for me. So that's, that's, your, that's your growing edge, is how do we enlist proactivity in terms of how we're understanding the work that we're doing and the, the changes that we are um, helping to facilitate in others? Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess um, just in terms of my own closing comments, um, I'd like to express uh, my appreciation to you, Serge, um, for being so wonderfully articulate about the work that you're doing um, and um, so clear about the perspectives and principles and theoretical frameworks that you that you draw on um, in order to do your work. And, and maybe just in closing, I'd like to speak to the, the question um, from the, the listener in Dublin about community. Um, I think that communities um, need attention. They need cultivation. They don't happen by themselves. Um, and part of what I um, value so much about Serge and his work um, has to do with that community aspect um, and that he's investing and um, bringing to a, a, a collective audience um, some understandings about the, the work that we do in somatic psychology that are really valuable. So thank you, Serge. Thanks, Ray. This is part of the Active Pause podcast. To see more and subscribe to the newsletter, go to activepause.com.